Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. A lot of things happened in the 70s, not all of them good, <laughs> but the 70s were, um, were a time of kind of emerging technology, and some of you, when I, when I say console stereo, will get this glazed look over your face, like you, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but uh, in the day, back in the day, uh, whenever that was for you, um, Stereos were in consoles. They were a piece of furniture, and they had speakers built in and turntables and radios and things like that. Well, I lived to see the evolution away from the console stereo and to component stereos. And uh, as I began to sell cherries out of my backyard and apples and things like whatever I could do to scrape up money, I, I, I bought myself a few little components. And I had no place to put my components. I had a, a turntable and receiver and a couple of speakers. I had no place to put my, my there was an 8-track player built in my, in my turntable too, just so you know. Um, but I had no place to put everything. And so um, my dad, as I've shared with you, who was in the grocery business, had a, uh, a rack done in our basement that was a Pepsi display uh, that he used to use in his store for 2-liter Pepsi bottles. And, and it had a Pepsi logo across the top and wire shelves on it. It was kind of a metal deal. You know, I really didn't want to use this Pepsi display for my dad's grocery store, but that's all that was around that, that I had shelves I could put my stuff on. I put my albums on one. Albums were, were these round discs that, you know, you put on. <clears throat> anyway, put my albums on, on, on the shelf and my receiver on the shelf, turntable on the shelf. And so, and I had this, and I, I thought, you know, this is, this is just the lamest thing it ever was. But as I would bring friends home from school to spend the night on weekends or, or even on school nights sometimes, guys I played ball with or whatever, they thought this Pepsi display was the coolest thing it ever was. Man, where'd you get that Pepsi shelf unit? That's it. That's, that's good. And so, and of course, they were enamored by a component system too. But anyway, we'd sit and listen to records and things like that in my room, and they thought this Pepsi thing was the coolest thing it ever was. And I, I was looking for every, the first opportunity to get rid of the thing. It was my first experience at the value of reclamation. My first experience at bringing something that you didn't want to use that was otherwise unusable, and most people, or me at least, would have discarded. I used it because I had to, not because I wanted to. But yes, an outsider coming in, looking at that, that thing, so, man, that's cool. I wish I had one of those. Oh, really? You want a Pepsi display for your... And, and this whole idea of, of reclaiming something that was otherwise cast aside and unusable started to gel within me and, 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 and still kind of lives with me today. Uh, that's, that's why I watch DIY a lot and, and, uh, and pickers and things like that a lot to see new uses for things. Uh, that were otherwise cast aside. That's this whole idea of, of some of the, the texts that we're going to be looking at today, um, these, four, these four texts, to, to kind of pull together this idea that the, clo- that the cross at its best, and it is a lot of things we've looked at it these last three weeks, but the cross, the best story of the cross is this idea of reclamation, this idea of taking something that was otherwise usable and would be cast aside at you and I <laughs> and our souls and redeeming those and reclaiming those. And, and giving new life to those and regenerating the, what would otherwise die in and of itself. And on, on our own, we're destined for death because, as, as the Scripture says, we're, we're born once to die. Um, and, and, and death would come for us ultimately, but 
were it not for the cross. The cross becomes the reclamation project that, that gives us eternal life. We're going to look at all these things. Turn to first to, to, to Colossians chapter 1, first of all, and I want us to see that, that uh, the rec- this is a reclamation that rights the wrongs. It's a reclamation that rights the wrongs. Uh, the first chapter of Colossians, verses 19 and 20, speak to this. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. To reconcile to himself. To reconcile to himself, he says in this verse. That's a powerful phrase in the scripture. And that's really talking about a twofold process. One is to bring back together. Reconciliation brings back together things that were otherwise apart. So that's this first step of reconciliation. We were apart from Christ, apart from God. And Jesus steps in the middle of our, of our separation from God and brings and reconciles those two things that were otherwise apart and brings them together. The second aspect of reconciliation is to clean up what was otherwise unusual. To make right and to clean up and, 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 and to, beyond clean, we're going to look at cleansing here in just a second, to, to totally cleanse that which was otherwise dirty and unusable and, and rubbish and to be cast aside. So reconciliation brings the, brings the things that are part together and cleans up from the inside out those things that were, that were otherwise uh, unusable. So how is all this possible? Look at what he says in verse 20. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Reconciliation came through his blood shed on the cross. And so uh, there, is, there, is, there is no doubt his blood is tied to this idea of reconciliation, and there is no reconciliation, he says in this verse, apart from the blood of Christ. So... There is this idea that, that if Jesus had gone to the cross and not shed his blood, would forgiveness still, be, still ring true? And I would submit to you, based on the Scripture, no, it wouldn't. Apart from the shed blood of Christ, the Scripture says, there is no forgiveness of sin. There is no reconciliation. It is the blood of Christ that, that was shed at the cross, at the cross, that did that good. Now, now, notice with me here, too, that Jesus was, and I shared this with you a little bit last week, Jesus was beaten before he was crucified. That was a rarity. It was an extreme rarity. In fact, as I shared with you last week, most folks died from the beatings. If they received 39 lashes, uh, most folks died from the blood loss of those 39 lashes. I've shared with you before uh, this, this cat of nine tails that the Romans used, and these were professional guys that did this. That's all they did. A stick, usually a wooden stick, uh, 18 to 24 inches long with, with 9 to 12 strips of leather tied to the end of that stick, and then shards of glass, bone, or metal at the end of those strips. And as, as those would go over your back or, or go over the, the person's back that was being beaten, you can imagine the flesh being ripped and the blood loss. And so Jesus lost an enormous amount of blood in that process, yet was under the burden of carrying his own cross to a hill, nailing, having been nailed to that cross and, and, and the, the blood that was shed there. However, there's far more blood shed with the beating than at the cross. First of all, he lost a lot of blood at the beating. Secondly, um, th- there was significant probably bloodshed at the cross because uh, uh, um, I can't think of the word I'm trying to use. But anyway, if, if, the, if the nails had been put in the palm of his hands, as you, have you seen in, in, in many pictures probably depicted, the weight of his body would have pulled the nail straight through the cartilage between his fingers. So the nail was likely here in the wrist, which was considered part of the hand anyway in Jewish, in Jewish culture. In fact, the hand was considered from here to here in Jewish culture. Uh, so the, the nails and spikes were likely driven between the wrists. Well, as you can feel in your own wrist, there are, there are veins and arteries that, go right, that are right out of the skin there. 
You can imagine a nail piercing those in the mount of blood loss from each wrist that happened there. You can imagine the blood loss that happened from the splintering of the cross against his back that was already beaten and opened up. You can imagine the blood loss through both feet as he was nailed to the cross there. His hands not probably giving him the strength to, to breathe as the weight of his body would collapse his diaphragm and he would have to push up on both feet to take a breath, relax again, push up. Every time he wanted to breathe, he had to push up with his feet to take a breath because as he, as he would collapse or as he would hang back down, his diaphragm would close again on his lungs, making it difficult to breathe. And there was, there was less significant blood loss at the cross than there was at the beating. However, it's the blood that was at the cross was the blood that reconciles. It's the blood shed on the cross is the blood that forgives. Now, I've, had, I've read, read from some theologians that thought that God never anticipated the beating. He anticipated and planned for the cross, but not, but not the beating. Listen, God the Father knew everything. If he is omniscient, and he is, and he's all-knowing, he knew that the, that the beating would occur, yet tells us through Scripture over and over several times, I, I just selected this passage, there, there are six or seven that tell the same thing, that it is the blood shed at the cross is the blood that matters, even though it is far less, quantitatively speaking, than the blood at the beating. And yet he uses and speaks to this blood shed at the cross. Why? Because it was the plan of God that the cross tell the story, not the beating. Jesus was submissive in the beating, yes. He didn't, he didn't get up and lash out against them, but it's the blood shed at the cross. It was the blood that forgives, not the blood that he received at the beating. So it is, it is God's plan through reconciliation that you and I <clears throat> get a do-over. If you're like me, you've, through life you've probably needed a lot of do-overs. One do-over probably wasn't good enough. You needed six, twelve, thirty-five, seventy-three. You needed a bunch. You've needed a bunch of do-overs in your life, and that's the whole picture of reconciliation. The whole picture of reclamation is to say your life gets a do-over. You get to start all over again and be recreated, reconciled, cleaned up, brought together from the inside out. That brings us to our second point. It's not only reclamation that rights the wrongs; it's reclamation that cleanses from the inside out. Reclamation that cleanses from the inside out. Turn to Hebrews. Chapter 9, <clears throat> and I want you to see this, these, these uh, few verses here in, chapter, in, in verses 12 to, uh, to 14 of Hebrews chapter 9. He says, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. Watch this, though. How much more, then, with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? How much more, then, with the blood of Christ, cleanse our consciences, cleanse us from the inside out? The ceremonial blood of, of bulls and goats and, he- and heifers, he's, he's saying here, in, in, to the, with the children of Israel in the wilderness, cleansed their it, it righted the wrong of their behavior. It changed their it, it changed their standing in front of men. Their standing in front of the priest. It was it was an outward show of an outward behavioral change. He's saying here though the blood of Jesus doesn't just change the behavior and doesn't just change the outside package. It changes you from the inside, cleanses you from the inside out. It's an inside out. Consequently, it is total cleansing. Uh, you and I, you watch these CSI and NCIS and all these all these whodunit kind of shows, and there's a, there's forensics teams that come and, and 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 even though you've 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 had a bloody mess, you've murdered somebody, blood's on, blood's on the carpet, and you've cleaned it out with bleach, 
they put this solution, spray this solution, you've seen it, and hit it with an ultraviolet light. And, the, and where, wherever blood was glows under that ultraviolet light. The, the kind of cleansing he's talking about here is, he said, it's totally, it's as if we looked at this last week in this legal scene that we looked at last week of our not just being acquitted, but our being declared totally innocent. This, this was not you. You were never here. It, it, your sin doesn't show up on God's radar screen, he's saying. That's the very idea that's, that's in this passage. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, he says, our consciences, cleanses us from the inside out so that we are standing before him totally clean. Now, it doesn't just change our, behe- our appearance as, as, the, as the blood of bulls and goats did. It changes our behavior. And our behavior changes because our motives change. And our motive changes because our heart has been changed. It's an inside-out reformation, an inside-out reclamation. So um, if, to get a real picture of the cleansing of God, you've got you to think of it in terms of, of, of not what does, the, what does the package look like. You and I can bathe and we can be okay. We can look presentable before people. But if we have a dark heart, it doesn't matter what, how, how good the outside looks, our heart's still dark. And he's saying in this passage, Jesus is the one, his blood is the one who takes the heart and cleans the heart, cleans the conscience, cleans the motive, cleans the desire, cleans the ambition. Um, uh, yeah, his, his blood doesn't just, doesn't, doesn't just give us new habits. It gives us a new heart. And there's a huge difference between those two things. Most folks in, in our culture, at least, think Christians are the do-gooders. I mean, they're the ones that want to do all the right things and make sure everybody else does all the right things, and, and, and they're doing the right things so that they can be seen and noticed, and they can please their God. He's saying, that's not what this is about. It's not about changing your habits. I want to change your heart, knowing that if I change your heart, I'll change your habits. Your habits will follow your heart. The things we do, the ways we think, the ways we behave follows who we really are inside. And he says, this is, this is the kind of cleansing that, that the blood of Jesus does. It's from the inside out. Thirdly, it's a reclamation that not only rights the wrongs and cleanses us from the inside out, it redeems the unredeemable. It's a reclamation that redeems the unredeemable. Turn to First Peter, if you will, chapter 1. <coughs> We're going to look at verses 18 to 21 here. 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 to 21. He redeems the unredeemable. For you know, verse 18, that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him... You believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Silver or gold, <clears throat> he's saying here, can only redeem something that has earthly value. It can only redeem something that has, has temporary value because silver and gold are temporary things. They, they too are going to burn up. When something is unredeemable or uh, it's, it's worthless <clears throat> or priceless one, one way or the other, you get an idea of what redemption is when something is either worthless or priceless. Now, my dad gave me this coin years ago, and in the world's eyes, it is worth far greater value than this than this book. Um, it's it's supposedly rare, and 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 um, you know it's just a, it's just a silver coin, silver dollar coin, but it's 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 of a rare date and stamp and mint, and what all this kind of thing. He knew a lot more about that than I did, or that I do, but in the world's terms. This is worth far more value than this is. However, this is the Bible that <clears throat> that my mom, that my dad bought my mom on her 29th birthday. It's priceless to me. 
I wouldn't take anything for it. You couldn't buy it from me. There's not enough of, enough money to buy this, this Bible from me. And, and by comparison, this is worthless to me compared to this. Yet our world says this is of far greater value than this. You see, when you are, it, it all depends on who the one is defining priceless and who, and who the one is defining worthless. He, he says that you are priceless to me. Therefore, I will give my best, my, what is priceless to me, to, to redeem what is priceless to me. My son is priceless to me. Your soul is priceless to me. I give away what is priceless to redeem what is priceless. A great picture there is painted in, in, this, in this text about this idea of, of, of silver and gold having no value when it really comes to spiritual things. And uh, as I said, it's all in who's defining the worth. Um, if, if, if we're defining the worth, if our culture's defining the worth, then we're all pretty, pretty good and we're really not in, in need of a Savior, not in need of redemption because, we're, you know, in the end, it's all going to work out, isn't it? I mean, that's the way our culture thinks. I've done enough good. My good has outweighed my bad. And in the end, I think, I think we're all going to get in. I think it's all going to be okay. It's generally because <clears throat> we, for the most part, feel good about ourselves. In, in the world, in the world where esteem matters, it's far more important than anything else a kid learns at school. As long as you're esteemed, it's okay. If you get get out of school, you don't know anything. You can't pass the grades, but you, your esteem is great. In, in in that kind of culture, and it's and it's still heading heading further in that direction. In that kind of culture, <clears throat> where it really doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere about the right things and you're esteemed in the right way, it's a, it's going to be all okay. According to the scripture, though, we're not good. We're just not. There's, there's, in fact, the scripture says there is no, no one good and nothing good in us. That's not really, really popular news in our culture. It's really pop, not popular news even in the church. Yet, those of us, and that's all of us, who have no good in us, he sees the redeemable in us by his blood shed on this cross that, that, that otherwise has, has silver and gold has no cleansing, redemptive nature to itself, but the blood of Jesus does. He said, I, re- I redeem what is unredeemable. I, t- I take, the, take the unredeemable and redeem it to myself because I declare it worth dying for. And as I said earlier, it's all in the one who's looking at what is priceless and what is worthless and saying, this is worthless to me, this is priceless to me, and our souls are priceless to him. Um, he says this another way in Luke 19.10, that, that I've come to seek and save those who are lost. And before we can ever receive salvation, we have to realize that we're lost and realize that we need a Savior and we need... We need redemption. We need redeeming. Uh, we need to be bought again, purchased again, re- recreated again from the inside out. So <clears throat> that's the idea here in, in, in this text in First Peter is to redeem the unredeemable and declare it. And get this now. Here's what redemption does. He, he, is, he is claiming us as his own by the blood of Jesus when we pray to accept him and, and come in relationship with him by faith. He's praying, uh, praying basically over us to say, you are now mine. I own you. You're my, you, you're my, I, I have redeemed you as my own. It's, it's, you've heard this illustration before and, I'm, and it, it bears presenting again, but if you can get this idea of a slave auction block where slaves were auctioned years ago off the auction block and people would bid on the, on the services of the slave. It says, it's, it's, it's as if you and I are standing there and Jesus says, I'll take all of them. They're all mine and you can all, you know, go home with me. Th- that's the idea of redemption to say, I, I claim you. And, and you were otherwise to this culture worthless, but I declare you priceless, and I claim you as my own. If you can get that picture of redemption, you're getting a more accurate picture of redemption. And that's something, friend, only the cross can do. That's what he says here in these verses. He was he, the blood of Christ without blemish, without defect. He was perfect. It wasn't, it wasn't as if 
the outside was cleaned up again by these by the blood of animals. No, our, our inside has been cleaned from the inside out by the blood of the person, Jesus Christ, God's Son, redeems the unredeemable. Fourthly, uh, reclamation not only rights the wrongs and cleanses from the inside out and redeems the unredeemable, but it offers hope. It offers hope. It's a reclamation that offers hope. Turn to Acts chapter 2. And I want you to look with me at verses 22 to 24. A reclamation that offers hope. People of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. This this entire text, really the the entire text of chapter 2 of of Acts is a great picture for the early church and for every church. But it's this message for us who walk with him by faith. It's this message for us of hope to say, listen, I I didn't give over my son to, 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 to... for death to be a picture of hopelessness. He didn't stay on the cross. The cross is empty. He didn't stay in the tomb. The tomb is empty. There is not this picture, and, if, and, and you know, bless our Catholic brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors' hearts, but the crucifix is no, is no picture of Jesus because he's not on the cross anymore. The, the cross is empty because of the plan of God to, to, to redeem him from the cross, move him from the cross to the tomb, and the tomb is empty. As well, so this idea of an empty cross and an empty tomb should be a great story to you and I to say, "Listen, there's hope. There's hope. He's not still dead. He's not still in the tomb. He 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 was removed from the cross because the plan of God was to redeem him from the tomb. The tomb was an even greater story of redemption than the cross was. And so this this whole picture, he says, offers us hope. Nailing him to the cross. When you nail something down, you intend it to stay there, don't you? I mean, I I never I've never driven a nail that I I plan to remove. I have had to remove a few, but I've never driven one that I plan to remove. You drive a nail into something, you plan on it staying there. You plan on walking away from it and it and it staying there, and you never have to revisit it again. And that's the idea here. He says here, nailing him to the cross. Uh, the, the, the idea that man nailing Jesus to the cross created some sense of permanence. This guy's dead. I mean, we got him. We've nailed him to the cross. He is no more. He will not live again. He, he, cannot, he cannot be the, the threat to our culture, the threat to the, to the Roman way of life, the threat to the rest of us Jews who, who don't recognize his, him as Messiah. The threat's gone. He's dead. We've nailed him to the cross. No. No. Joseph of Arimathea comes and pulls the nails out of the cross, grabs his body, puts it in the tomb. You know the story. It's there for two and a half days. On, on, the, on the morning of the third day, <clears throat> he's risen and gone. Why? To tell us there is hope. The death is not the end of the story. There's hope after death. There's life after death. I'm using the, my, the illustration of my son to tell you that there's hope. The, 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 the cross is not final. There's no finality in the cross, just as there's no finality in death. He didn't stay there. Um, this isn't also a wistful hope. It isn't something that most of us, or at least should, sit around thinking, gee, man, I hope he comes again. I hope the promises that he's made in Scripture... Listen over and over and over after, after promise after promise, prophecy after prophecy, you, you, you have seen and we are seeing in our day the Scripture fulfilled almost day to day and week to week. But, but as the Scripture is fulfilled in front of us, it ought to tell us, listen, if he said he's coming again, he's coming again. 
If he said he, he's going to do this, he's going to do that. If he, if he said you watch the nature of things that are going on in the Middle East, watch the nature of things that are going on in the Middle East. He's at work in all of that. If, if, if he said something in his word, he's going to do that. That's why he says, listen, the grave has no power over you, and the cross and death has no power over you. you should, we should not fear death. There's, uh, now, now, I'm sure none of us are, are you know, wanting to go out and get hit by a truck here as we go over that last little dip at the railroad track. Uh, on the way out, none of us are none of us are looking for death today. But are you? Do you feel really threatened, threatened by it? I don't. I'm not looking forward to it. I'd like to see some grandchildren, and you know, I'd like to see a little more of life. I'm I'm ready to meet him. I'm anxious to meet him, but I don't want that to happen today necessarily. Do you? But I do want it to happen, and it is no threat to me. And I'm not. It isn't a cloud a cloud that's over me. Um, <clears throat> there's, in fact. <clears throat> Rick and I had had some conversation um, several years ago when he was be, being treated with by, by, with for cancer, and <clears throat> and we had this conversation about about death. That that as a believer, as a believer, death is is kind of a coronation. It's kind of the, the stepping out of the old and 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 the, and the frail and the inability into something totally perfect and complete and. If you and I can get this concept of death that he's painting here to say, listen, it's graduation. Death is graduation into, in, in, into who you were really designed to be. The human frailties that you have, the sin that, 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 that so, as the scripture says, so easily encumbers us, so easily finds us. He said, that's not who you were designed to be. I created you for this, not for this. And so he's saying here that, that this, this, this redemption, this, it's, it's complete and consequently it offers hope. A hope of not only something better, but a hope of what we were really designed for, what we were really destined to be. He saw us as that in the womb and still sees us as that every day, even though we're not that. He sees us as completed, sinless, perfect children standing in front of him. He doesn't see us through through the lens that this world sees us through. So heaven is a real place. (laughs) And the only access there is by way of the cross, he's saying here in these verses. Um. So as we close today, these thoughts, uh, uh, I'm compelled to ask the question, have you been there? Have you visited him? Has the, has, has the cross become a place of reality to you, not a, not a symbol on a wall or something around a neck or a sticker on a car? Is it, is it a real entity to you? And I, I would submit to you, and I've shared this with you before, that the cross is more real to you at the place where you met Jesus than any other place. That's why I've, I've shared for, with folks for years don't feel guilty if you can't remember the time of day or the day of the week or even the date. And in some cases, maybe even the year that you trusted Jesus. But I'm convinced of this. You'll never forget the place you trusted him, ever. You'll never forget the place where you met Christ as your Savior. It'll be a sacred, holy place to you, whether it's the, the foot of your bed, whether it's an altar at a church, whether it's a camp someplace, or whether it's like me, it was in a, in a cow pasture. Uh, it's now some baseball fields and, and those baseball fields are still, still sacred ground to me because that's where I'm at Jesus. And I'm convinced the place you met him will be, will be sacred ground to you. And the cross will be more relevant and more real and more important to you there at that place than any other place in history. So if that place caused you to revisit, man, the, what happened at the cross changed me. And I realized that and accepted that and, and absorbed that here in this place. I would encourage you to revisit that today. Um, wherever you met him is a sacred place and the cross is more relevant there. If you haven't met him, I encourage you to do that today and not just know a lot about him, but know him personally, have a relationship with him.
That's a relationship that doesn't begin by osmosis. We don't absorb Jesus. We absorb truth, but we don't absorb him. We receive him by faith to say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want a relationship with you. Will you come in and change me? Will you, I gave my life to you. I gave my future to you. I, I want all of me to belong to you. And that's by invitation. That's by a conversation. It's not by how many verses we know or, or how many times we've been to church or, or whether we were raised in a Christian home or, or, or anything like that. It's, it's all about relationship. And that, that relationship begins with a meeting. It begins with an encounter. It begins with an invitation. I invite you in and I receive you as my Savior. So, uh, to, to use my mom's phrase, and um, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know that you know him? I want to encourage you today, if you don't, that you're in the right place. Um, you've trudged this, through the snow to find a, a precious place to meet Jesus today if you've never met him. Um, but I want to leave you with this final thought before we, before we sing. And I want, to, I want to share with you, too, before we do this, you're welcome to, to come today, and, and, and Doc will be down front here. I'll be at front. We'll, either of us be happy to talk with you about trusting Jesus uh, or about reclaiming the power of the cross in your life to where it has greater influence and greater significance to you than it's ever been before. Um, but I, I want to leave you with this. Uh, your visit to, to the cross, this is true of most of us, I think probably all of us, your visit to the cross will cause you to either, on the one hand, rejoice, or on the other hand, retreat. And your reaction to that should tell you a story. If, you, if your visit to the cross and, you're, and you're, the, the symbolism, the, the, the picture that you see in your mind's eyes, you close your eyes and you see the cross, the picture there will either cause your heart to rejoice at what Jesus has done for you or retreat because you don't know him. And the Spirit's saying, this isn't you. It's something you see, something you've been taught about, but it's not something you know personally. It's not, a, it's not an experience that you've received and have trusted him. And consequently, uh, the retreat comes from realizing I don't know him, and there are consequences to not knowing him because heaven is a real place, hell is a real place, and my, apart from him, I'm, I'll, I will spend eternity in hell with him. I'll spend eternity with him and, his, and in his presence in heaven, and my retreat from the truth of the fact that I don't belong to him should tell me something. It should say, I need a connection. I need to know him personally and not just know about him. So, which is true for you. As you envision the cross, as you revisit it, and, and uh, if you weren't here last week doing the great Cross Point Cross giveaway, um, come up and grab one of these one of these crosses off the table if you'd like to have one. Or if you didn't, if you didn't get one, and you can stick them on a string or a piece of leather or a chain around your neck or uh, or on a key ring or, or in your pocket or whatever you'd like to do with them. But you're you're welcome to them. Just come grab them after after church. But as, as you as we have revisited the, the influence and the power of the cross, it should say something to us. It should, be, it should, it should teach us. It should remind us. It should motivate us. Uh, and, and today, these are great reminders that the fact that because of the cross, every wrong in my life has been righted. He's righted every wrong because of the cross. He's cleansed from the inside out because of the cross. He's redeemed what was otherwise totally unredeemable and worthless because of the cross. And he and offers us hope today because of the cross. Why? Because of the cross. It's all together because of the cross. It is the most pivotal uh, thing that's happened in history. And for the believer, the most pivotal thing that's happened in eternity. And I want you to see the power of that and, and revisit that today. Revisit that in your life. Uh, be, be more proud of it than we are. Display it more than we do. Talk about it more than we do. Because it's changed us. 
what's happened there has changed us, and it should change us every day and not just heaven for heaven. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.